This is episode number 196, How to Fuel Your Gut for Optimal Immunity and Performance with Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I truly believe that optimizing your microbiome through a plant-based diet is the path to get there. So for me, if a person says, hey, I'm 70% and I'm 30% animal products, if that's where you want to stay, that's up to you. But I, I just think you would feel better, you would notice a difference, and you would achieve that ultimate health that carries forward during your entire lifetime by moving the needle further. I hope you guys are having an awesome week and you enjoyed your holiday. I've basically been traveling full time for about a decade, so I've actually been really enjoying the time at home and my house is actually organized for the first time since I moved in and that's been many years ago. Another fun thing about being home so much is having more time to cook. So if you haven't checked out my Plant Power Tribe cookbook, it is currently a digital cookbook that you can get at moxieandgrit.com. I'm formulating some new recipes to come out with a part two sometime this year. And it's been just super fun to test these recipes. And my husband has been enjoying that as well. If you want to check out my Plant Power Tribe cookbook, you can get it at moxieandgrit.com. And again, that's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And speaking of plant-based, many of you know that I am really passionate about eating plant-based. And I changed my diet back in 2013 after watching the Forks Over Knives documentary when I learned that the food that you eat, yes, the food that you eat can prevent and reverse many of the lifestyle diseases that kill people every day. Diseases like heart disease, stroke, cancer, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's disease, I could go on and on with this list. And I discovered that the more plants you eat, the more protected you are. One thing I wasn't expecting was to improve my athletic performance by changing to a plant-based diet. In fact, I was worried that the opposite would happen. So if you're looking for an edge, watch Game Changers or just try eating plant-based for a few weeks and see how you feel. And I guarantee that you're going to feel stronger and better and have more energy. I've had a number of guests, all of the leading experts in plant-based nutrition, from doctors to researchers to dietitians to other athletes who have had massive benefits from eating this way. And you can listen to them and filter that out by going to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts. And there is a drop-down menu so you can actually select plant-based if you're looking for specific plant-based podcasts. And today's episode is really awesome. It's with Dr. Will Bolsowitz, and he's actually been on this show before, which I linked to the show notes, and that is actually one of the most downloaded episodes ever. So I think that this part two as a follow-up is going to be pretty exciting for you guys to listen to. Before I get into the nuts and bolts of today's show, I just want to say thank you so much for those of you who have hit subscribe and who have been supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. Also, thank you to those of you who have been sharing the show with your friends all of those things really mean the world to me, and I love doing this podcast. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do, and it gets me super pumped. And knowing that it makes a big difference for you is just one of the coolest things that I can possibly contribute. If you want more, you can join the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. It is free, and you don't have to be plant-based to join. And it's just a pretty cool community where people share their success stories, they share healthy recipes, and I even shared that I recorded this podcast. Again, that's just Plant Powered Tribe with Sonia Looney on Facebook. Joined over 2,000 people, and I can't wait to see you there. So, 39 trillion. 39 trillion. That is approximately how many bacteria are living in your gut. And guess what feeds them? You. Everything you put in your mouth, everything you eat, is either a step towards better health or a strike against it. And if you want gut flora that help balance your hormones, reduce chances of cancer, reverse type 2 diabetes, prevent neuropsychiatric conditions like ADHD, Alzheimer's, and depression, then you need to eat fiber. Yes, fiber. Fiber is about so much more than pooping regularly. And don't get me wrong, pooping regularly is awesome. But fiber does way more than just helping you be regular. So how do you make sure that you have a healthy gut? 
Well, you need to talk to Dr. B, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, and you need to eat as many different sources of fiber as you can. And you also need to pick up the brand new book, Fiber Fueled. If you're a fan of this podcast, as I mentioned, you more than likely listened to my first episode with Dr. B, who is a gastroenterologist and new author. And as he likes to be called, Dr. B is an MD and an internationally recognized gut health expert. He is passionate about the incredible healing power that lives inside of you, your gut microbiota. And your gut microbiota is also known as the second brain. Dr. B's medical training involved 16 years at America's elite institutions. He completed a bachelor's from Vanderbilt, a medical degree from Georgetown, and a master of science in clinical investigation from Northwestern. He also has an exploding Instagram account, and you can follow Dr. B on Instagram at TheGutHealthMD. His new book, Fiber Fueled, came out just last week. It's the first of its kind and a plant-based guide to gut health. He took his research and experience as an MD, the 600 references cited in the book, and built an incredible book that is interesting to read, easy to understand, and every page has important takeaways. You'll probably want to read it more than once. He also tells you what foods to eat, how to cook them, and even has a four-week guide with 70 recipes. And the biggest takeaway from this show, just like the last episode I did with him, is that you should eat as much variety of whole plant foods as you can to have a healthy gut. I linked up the last episode that Dr. B and I recorded in the show notes, if you would like to listen to it. In this podcast, we talk about book writing, what a gastroenterologist actually does, how digestion works, fiber 101. What if you already eat a lot of veggies and fiber-filled foods, but you still eat meat and dairy? What effect does that have on your gut health? And I know that that's the case with a lot of our listeners. We talked about gut health and immunity. If you can eat too much fiber or introduce too much fiber at once. We talked about how the gut is part of the endocrine system, which many people, including myself, did not know. We talk about birth babies, breast milk, and fiber, and how it helps you have a better immune system for yourself, for your baby, and produce more breast milk. We talked about F-goals, which is Dr. B's acronym going through the different types of foods that you should eat for your gut. We specifically talked about fermented foods because that is something that we don't often eat in our culture. And lastly, we talked about gut health and athletic performance. There's a lot in this episode. The topic of gut health is massive, and I highly encourage you to listen to Dr. B on some other podcasts because there is just no way to get into everything that his book is about. We talked about other books as well. Those books are all linked up in the show notes. And I also included Rip Esselstyn's podcast that he recently did with Dr. B because I thought it was exceptional. So let's get into it. Here is Dr. B. Dr. B, welcome back to the show. Sonia, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to reconnect. And I'm excited about what's happening right now as we, you know, get back into the groove of things. Yeah, this week. I mean, this podcast is coming out in a couple of weeks, but this is the week your book comes out. My book is coming out this week. So, you know, I have my book baby and you have your real life baby. And those are, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Real life babies are far more important and amazing, but you know, there is something to be said for the amount of work that goes into preparing a book. I mean, I started working on this in August of 2018. And now here we are finally. I really respect anybody that's finished a book. I've started and stopped my book so many times. And I would say that a real book is harder than a real human baby. (laughs) Well, the human baby, the process unfolds whether you like it or not, right? Whereas writing a book, it can be challenging and it can force you to do things that you may not really feel comfortable or want to do. And that's so it just kind of comes with the territory. What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself with writing a book? You know, it's interesting. And this is the honest truth. Okay. I started this entire journey to become a doctor and that was, that was always the goal, you know, and I started when I was a teenager and Now here we are, and I never really thought I would be an author. That was not the plan. It was always to be a doctor. But when I saw that there was an opportunity to share this message that I'm so passionate about, that I think that people really need, and that in my mind, this is like doing everything that I do as a doctor, except affecting 
and potentially helping way more people. That that to me was so powerful as a motivator. And this book is me at the top of my game. Um, I've never been so focused in my entire life. I was up at five in the morning and in bed by 9.30 for a year to make this book happen. I had to write early in the morning. That's the only way I could get it done. And I continued to work full-time as a doctor as I did it. And um, so I'm really proud of I'm really proud of this book because I, I sincerely believe that people are going to read this book and benefit from it. And that's what matters the most to me. If you told me, hey, doc, you have a choice. You could sell a million books, but no one benefits. Or one person has a radical transformation of their health. Which one are you going to take? I, I'm serious. I would take, I want to heal people. That's what I'm here for. And that's what I'm really excited about with this book is I really, truly think it's going to happen. I do too. And I've read basically, I don't know, I want to say all of the plant-based nutrition books. And I don't even want to corner you into a, calling this a plant-based nutrition book. It's an overall how to be healthy and prevent diseases book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Like it is freaking awesome. And before we turn the, the mic on, the way that it's laid out, the way that that you deliver all of this scientific, heavily scientific information into a way that's really easy to digest and the action plan to just be healthier is so awesome. Yeah. Oh, that means a lot for you to say that. I really, that's amazing. You know, Howard, Howard Jacobson, who wrote a book with Garth Davis and he wrote a book with T. Colin Campbell told me that he thought this was the best nutrition book he's ever read. That's so and, cool. You know, and I, I personally, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I know we're going to dive into the details of it. And, and you know, I, I totally get why you said it the way that you did. I view this as a plant-based book. But what I also view this as is I'm really trying to talk to the person who was me just a few years ago, meaning the guy who's 5% or 10% plant-based. I want to connect to that person and I want to show them a path to better health. And I truly, sincerely believe that they will be 100% whole food plant-based when they're done. That's what I sincerely believe. And I wrote that in the book. But that being said, I will take from 10 to 30 and I will celebrate that. They go from 30 to 50 and I am cheering you on. Like to me, I'm here not to tell you, you have to be 100% or nothing. I'm here to tell you there's a path to better health and it's through a plant-based diet and how far you choose to take that is ultimately up to you and how far you take that ultimately will determine how much you get to benefit from it. Yeah. I think that that is said so well. And that's been my messaging all along is like, just push the needle. You can push it as far as you want, but any movement is good movement. So what does a gastroenterologist do? Like, what do you actually do? Because I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, like, you know, a butt doctor or uh, acid reflux. Like, I, I think people aren't exactly sure what the scope of that practice looks like. Yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, I am those things. I, you know, it's weird to think of myself as a butt doctor because I, I kind of don't. Maybe I'm just trying to protect my own ego. But I'm a butt doctor. I'm an acid reflux doctor. I take care of the entire digestive system. That includes the esophagus, stomach, pancreas, liver, small intestine, large intestine. All those things. I am the expert. I am the guy that they call when there's a problem. And so that's how I spend my days. I spend about half my time taking care of patients clinically, like basically, you know, talking to them about their diet, their lifestyle, their medications, all those kinds of things. And then I spend about half my time doing procedures. So I do colonoscopies and upper endoscopies. And um, I love my job, but I am at my root. I am a person who strives to be the best doctor that I can be. That's just who I am. And I have found what I think is the root or the source of most of the problems that I encounter in my clinic. And that is damage to the gut microbiome. And once I discovered that and I realized a light bulb went off in my mind. And now I can't change the fact that I feel compelled to have conversations about diet and lifestyle when I feel like diet and lifestyle are the reason that the gut microbiome is suffering and also the way to improve it and get it healthy again. And so I can't change that. And there are people who live in my town in Charleston, South Carolina, who they think I'm crazy in the sense that like not literally crazy, but in the sense that I'm leaving money on the table, you know, 
to take that extra time to talk to the patient about dying and lifestyle, it costs you money. Like not $1,000 over the course of a year could be more than $100,000. I try not to think about that. I just focus on, you know, really at the end of the day, you do what is the right thing for your patient, period. And, and that way you have the satisfaction of knowing you did your best. Yeah, I had Dr. Clapper on and I can't remember the exact, it's like the creed of whenever you become a doctor. Um, but I thought that that was really- oath. What, what? It's the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Hippocrates, Hippocrates is the is the founder of, of modern Western medicine. And when we go through medical school, I remember the day. It was um, it was in the fall of 2002. And they gave me, they put my white coat on for the very first time. My parents were there. And I recited along with my classmates at Georgetown, I recited the Hippocratic Oath. And it's our, it's our obligation to follow that. So I want to talk about how food absorption works, because I think that that's something people don't really know. They think I just eat the food. You know, you eat the food and you poop it out. But what happens in the middle is different. Like people think, oh, I have it's, it's my stomach. But there's a lot of things that are happening past the stomach. So can you kind of walk us through how food absorption works and how nutrient absorption works as well? Because there's a lot that goes on with this. <laughs> Yeah, well, and so it's a big topic, but let me just give you the 101 level, you know, um, introduction to, to digestion, which is that, you know, food, food, uh, digestion starts actually in your mouth. So it's not in the stomach. It's actually in your mouth when you chew and you have saliva and the saliva mixes with your food and the saliva already has some digestive enzymes to help you to break down your food, such as amylase which helps to break down this, the carbohydrates in your food. And then the food passes through the esophagus, so you swallow. And the esophagus basically is just a transport tube. It moves the food from the back of your throat down to your stomach, which is in your abdomen. So it basically moves past the lungs, past the heart, and it gets it down to your stomach. And your stomach cranks out acid, and it moves in a rhythmic fashion. And sort of the point is to digest and break down, you know, initial digestion and breaking down of the food. It breaks it up. And then it moves down into the small intestine. And small intestine includes all kinds of enzymes. It includes your pancreas will basically release proteinases, which break down proteins, and amylases, which break down sugars, and lipases, which break down fats. And then your liver is producing digestive juice too. So the bottom line is, you know, as you're moving through, it's like a factory line and your food is going through and it's being unpacked as it goes through. So it starts off in whole food form and the further along it goes, the more that these digestive enzymes or these different parts of your body will unpack the food to release it. But there's some foods that you eat that don't get unpacked by human enzymes. That's fiber. And resistant starches. Fiber and resistant starches are not processed by human enzymes. They pass through the small intestine untouched, unchanged, and they enter into the colon. And these foods that are resistant to digestion arrive in the colon and they actually turn out to be food for the gut microbiome because it's in the large intestine, which we can also call the colon. It's in the large intestine where most of the 39 trillion microbes that are a part of your microbiome, that's where most of them live. And they wait there patiently and they hope that you will send some food their way because they are living just like you and I. They need food to survive. And when you consume fiber and resistant starches, you are providing them with a nourishing meal. And they consume that food, they thrive, they multiply, they grow, they become stronger in the same way that when you feed us, we get stronger. And then they say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for that delicious meal. I want to pay you back. And the way that I'm going to pay you back is I'm going to take the fiber and I'm going to transform it into short chain fatty acids. And that is chapter three of my book, the entire chapter is about the healing effects of short-chain fatty acids. They are incredible. They are the biggest secret in all of nutrition, in all of science, in my opinion. People are not talking about them. We're talking about lectins. We're talking about anti-nutrients and you know, phytoestrogens. And 
we're wasting our energy on stuff that really isn't that big of a deal or worth the conversation. But what we're not talking about is fiber and short-chain fatty acids, which heal the gut, which affect the immune system, which help to control our weight, which reverse type 2 diabetes, which can actually protect the heart, which cross the blood-brain barrier and protect the brain. We're talking about healing effects throughout the entire body, and we need more of them. But there's only one way to really get the amount that you need, and that is you have to eat fiber. And 97% of Americans, and I would imagine that this is quite true in Canada because you guys were, were all so similar, we're like cousins, 97% of Americans are not getting a fiber in their diet. And so those microbes that could be thriving and paying us back with short-chain fatty acids are instead starving and weak and not able to do their job the way that we need them to. And what about synthetic fiber? Like I've heard people say, I get fiber, I take, I don't know, is Metamucil one of those things? There are fibers, you know, basically referring to fiber supplements. And there are some that are synthetic. And there are also some that are isolated from the plant. You know, in nature, all fiber comes from plants. If you want fiber, you have to eat plants. They have a monopoly. And so these fibers in isolation, you can crank up the number of grams of fiber but you will not really make your microbiome that healthy if you do only that. The point is this, you can't take a C minus gut and turn it into an A plus with a supplement. It's not possible. I don't care if it's fiber or not. If you want to take your C minus gut and turn it into an A plus, you got to be prepared to make the diet and lifestyle changes that are necessary to optimize your microbiome. So what about like people that don't go plant-based. There, there are a lot of people listening to this podcast. They don't eat like the typical standard American diet. They probably have a smaller serving of meat or dairy on their plate, but they also have a lot of vegetables. So someone listening to this is probably saying, yeah, that's me. What about for them? Like, What will reducing the amount of meat or dairy in their diet do to help them have better gut health? Well, there's so there's this there's this balance that exists. Okay. It's like a scale. And to be, you know, quite simple, there's good guys and there's bad guys. The good guys are anti-inflammatory. So they reduce inflammation in the body. The bad guys are inflammatory. They promote inflammation. They promote disease. And the standard American diet right now is 10% plant-based and 60% processed food and 30% meat, dairy, and eggs. What that means is that for the standard American diet, 90% of their calories are actually working against them when it comes to their microbiome. 90% are causing damage. And only 10% is trying to balance that out. And the 10% is just not enough. So you can think of it as the scale where you're putting weight on opposite sides. And for the person who's you know, a listener of the show and they're an avid you know, cyclist, for example, and they, they eat a pretty clean diet. Number one, I applaud them for being motivated to transform their health. I applaud them for being willing to eat a clean diet. But the question is, how do you optimize your microbiome? How do you optimize it? And there is literally no evidence. You know, and I discussed this in great detail in chapter two of my book. There is no evidence to say that eating meat makes your gut healthier. There is no evidence to say that dairy makes your gut healthier. There's no evidence of eggs. So if you get rid of processed foods and you replace it with plants and you become 70% plant-based and 30% animal products, I think that you've done an amazing job of moving in the right direction. But the question is, are you satisfied having a you know B or B plus gut? Or do you want to move it towards an A or an A plus? At what point are you satisfied? Because this is so critically important to human health, you know, it connects to not just our digestion, connects to our immune system, our metabolism, our brain and how it functions, our hormonal balance, even the way that we express our genetic code. It's so important. And so for me, when I think about healthy aging, you know, I think about the fact that I'm 40 now and I feel younger and I think I look younger than I did when I was 30. 
And that's because of my diet. And I think about what my life is going to look like 20 years from now when I'm 60 or 40 years from now when I'm 80. And I want to be strong and I want to be sharp and I want to be able to enjoy time with my family and still enjoy my life. And to do that, I need to age well. And I truly believe that optimizing your microbiome through a plant-based diet is the path to get there. So for me, if a person says, hey, I'm 70% and I'm 30% animal products, you know, if that's where you want to stay, that's up to you. But I, I just think you would feel better, you would notice a difference, and you would achieve that ultimate health that carries forward during your entire lifetime by moving the needle further. I love that you went through all of the different ways that having a healthy microbiome affects your body. And I actually had each one of those as a bullet point to ask about. Let's talk about the immune system and the gut, because obviously with COVID and all the things happening in the world right now, people really want to boost their immunity. How do, how do people get sick? Where does sickness begin in the body? And how does the gut boost the immune system to ward off infections? Well, you know, sickness, just sort of broadly speaking, is a complex topic in the sense that, you know, it's hard to uh, paint with such broad strokes that you really kind of cover what where all human illness comes from. But I think that it's fair to say that there is this balance that deeply involves our immune system called inflammation. And inflammation can fall on a spectrum. It could be mild and smoldering. By smoldering, I'm talking about a fire that is burning ongoing for a very long time, but at a very low level. That would be the type of inflammation that causes cancer, causes heart disease, causes Alzheimer's. It's inflammation that compiles over decades and leads to serious life-threatening disease. Or you could have you know, the bonfire that's going to burn out real fast, but it's a huge fire all at once. And you know that's like pouring gasoline on the fire. And that's what sepsis is. Sepsis is an overwhelming infection that leads to excessive activation of the immune system. When we, think, when we think about COVID, the key here is the response of the immune system. It is likely to be the difference between elimination of the virus without much issue versus the person who gets critically ill and ends up in the intensive care unit. The way that the immune system responds is likely to be the key. And, you know, as you, you know, sort of led us into this conversation in this section, you said boosting the immune system. And what's interesting is that's the way that everyone's describing it. When in fact, boosting the immune system can be dangerous. When the immune system is excessive, it basically goes nuclear and it just, you know, it's the immune system dropping all the bombs and unloading all the guns all at once. That's actually horribly bad for the body. When that happens, that's when people develop what's called acute respiratory distress syndrome. The lungs both start filling up with fluid. It's like having a pneumonia, except the pneumonia involves every single square centimeter of your lungs. Filling up with fluid. That person will only survive if they're brought to an intensive care unit and they have a breathing tube. And it takes easily more than a week to recover from that. That's not the virus acting directly. By the way, that's, that is the way that people are getting incredibly ill and many times passing away from COVID-19. This is the way that it happens is they develop this acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS. But that's not the consequence of the virus directly. That is the consequence of an excessive immune response. The immune system is what causes that. You guys, we want our immune system to be precise, targeted optimized. Those are the words. We want our immune system to pick off this virus and remove it from our body without going nuclear. And so now the key here is that 70% of our immune system lives in our gut. You can't separate the immune system from the gut microbes. They are completely intertwined with each other. One of the key takeaways from today, there is a direct connection between the food you eat and your microbiome, and the health of your immune system. That is a direct line from food to microbiome to immune system. So 
If you put junk into the tank, you will get a junky microbiome, which means a junky immune system. Now is not the time for that. When you put the high quality fuel into the tank, the fiber, you feed the microbiome and that enhances and optimizes the immune system to pick off this virus and remove it from your body. And that is why right now, more than ever, honestly, Sonia, like I'm not kidding when I say this, now is not the time to be sabotaging your health with alcohol and junk food. Now is the time to be optimizing your gut microbiome because an optimized gut microbiome is an optimized immune system. And this, this book, Fiber Fueled, this is the way to do it. That's what it is. It's the plan. If somebody says, okay, well, I want to start optimizing my gut health, how long does it actually take? And I know it probably depends on where you're starting from, but how quickly will people start seeing changes if they start eating more fiber? Okay. You will start to see changes in less than 24 hours. That's number one. Number two, in my research for this book, I saw time after time after time that after about four weeks, the microbiome would make radical changes. So four weeks jumped out to me as the critical period of time. That's not to say that every single person will fix every single problem in four weeks. That's to say that in four weeks, you can radically change your gut. And that's why my, my book has a four-week meal plan, the fiber-fueled four weeks. It would have been so much easier to do like a seven-day or 10-day thing and call it a detox, but that wouldn't be good enough. I had to go further and give you guys the full four-week plan because that's that's what it takes if you really want to change your gut, four weeks. And some of the personalities listening to this, and people are going to laugh when I say this, they're like, okay, I need to eat more fiber. And they're all in, they go all or nothing, and they they go crazy with fiber. How much fiber is too much fiber? All right. So I, I appreciate those type A people because they're <laughs> like me, right? And me I think they're probably a little <laughs> like you. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I appreciate those people. They're very goal oriented. And uh, I would embrace you with a hug if we were not in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. The thing is this, just like with biking, okay, if you haven't been on the bike, you don't wake up one day and go and do the same ride that you would do at peak performance. Am I right? Yeah. You got to build up, right? You start at a lower level something that's actually achievable and you start at that point and then you build and you build and you build. That's the way that fitness develops. And that's the exact same way that gut fitness develops too. Your gut is like a muscle. It can be made stronger, but it can also be broken if you overdo it all at once. You know, you wouldn't go to the gym and lift 300 pounds. If you haven't been in the gym in a year, you would go to the gym and you would start at a nice lightweight and you would recognize that there's going to be some soreness in the next couple of days. But then you're going to come back to the gym and you're going to probably lift a little bit more next time. And that's the way you do it with fiber. You go low and slow, you ease your body into it, and you ramp up over the course of time. Now, most people probably hear the word fiber and they think salad or they think celery. And there's different types of fiber. And I know that we might not talk about fiber saying soluble or insoluble anymore. We might talk about it in terms of viscosity and fermentability. Can you kind of talk about the different types of fiber and where people can find the variety that they should be eating? Okay. Thank you for asking, because this is one of the core, most important messages of the entire book. And this, by the way, applies to vegans too, because you can be 100% plant-based and still have room to optimize your gut if you're not doing it the right way. So the key is this, there are probably millions, if not billions of types of fiber in nature. We don't even have an estimate or a handle over how many different types there are. So to keep it simple, we call it fiber and we break it into two main categories, soluble, which means it dissolves and insoluble, which means that it doesn't dissolve. Okay. But we do that really for simplicity's sake. And then we count grams when in fact, every single plant has fiber. Every single plant has a mix of different types of soluble and insoluble fiber. The fiber in each plant is biochemically unique. They're not the same. And they have different effects on the body, whether they're soluble or not. And where this is important is when we talk about the connection between fiber and our microbes. 
because this is the food for our gut. But Sonia, our microbes are picky eaters. They are picky eaters. And so what that means is that when you feed them black beans, there are certain specific species that benefit from the black beans. If you took the black beans away, you're going to have those exact species start to fail, start to recede, start to grow weaker, and then eventually they just disappear. And by the way, the species that thrive on black beans are not the species that thrive on kale. There's a different group of microbes that thrive on kale. Maybe there's some overlap, but for the most part, they're different because they have different types of fiber. So the key is this. Different types of plants have different types of fiber to feed different types of microbes. When you think about the health of your microbiome, what we use as scientists is the diversity of microbes within the gut to talk about how healthy the community is. More diversity is better. So in order to get a diverse gut, you need diverse types of fiber from a diverse mix of plants. And this, Sonia, by the way, sounds all great, sounds like a good idea, right? But I'm not here to peddle ideas. I am a gastroenterologist. I'm a man of science. I wouldn't write a book based upon an idea. There's plenty of books that are based upon ideas. Many of the fad books are based upon ideas that are not proven. I'm not here for that. I'm here for legitimate science that has a solid foundation to back it up. And in the largest study to date to connect our diet and lifestyle to the health of our microbiome, the most well-positioned study to answer this question, what is the most powerful predictor of a healthy gut microbiome? The answer was the diversity of plants in your diet. All right, this is scientifically validated. The diversity of plants in your diet is the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome. I love that. And I also want to point people to the other podcast that you and I did because we talked about some different things that we aren't going to cover today. Um, we go into what the microbiome is and some of the more basic questions that we haven't really covered. What are the most common problems of the gut? Because I don't necessarily think that people know that there are so many different things that are linked to gut health. Well, you know, any person would think, okay, gut, all right, it must be digestive issues. And the answer is yes, that's what I see in my clinic. Heartburn, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, gas, bloating, constipation, blood in the stool. These are sort of the symptoms that I will frequently see. And they can manifest with your old bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, celiac, acid reflux. There's so many different conditions. But people don't realize how much the gut is connected to other parts of the body. You know, I routinely see people come in with anxiety, depression, migraine headaches, thyroid disorders, skin issues, allergic issues like seasonal allergies, chronic sinusitis, perhaps an autoimmune condition like rheumatoid arthritis, right? And I'll see these people, diabetes, obesity, okay? Every single one of the things that I just mentioned, every single one is connected back to the health of the gut microbiome. And when I look at these patients and they're there to see me for their digestive issue, they're there because they have pain and they have, you know, diarrhea or constipation, they have bloating. I'm going to fix that issue and I'm going to heal their microbiome with the plan that I've laid out in this book. And then when they come back, I am not shocked when they tell me, hey, doc, my anxiety and depression are like, I haven't felt this good in a really long time. I'm tapering my medicine. I'm not needing as much thyroid medicine. My headaches aren't as frequent as they used to be. I've lost 10 pounds. You know, my hemoglobin A1C, a marker of diabetes, is dramatically improved. These are the stories that I hear routinely from the people who follow the plan. Because when you heal the gut, you heal throughout the entire body. It's not just digestion. It's all of these other things too. But how does the microbiome... Or maybe it doesn't, but how does it actually change or affect neurotransmitters and hormone regulation? Because it's, it's just these little like, well, there's lots of them, but trillions and trillions of bacteria. How does that actually signal to your body to do something different? Okay. The gut is an endocrine organ. So that means that it's part of the endocrine system, including the hormonal balance. It's as much an endocrine organ as the ovaries or the testicles 
or any other part of the body. And, you know, when it comes to these hormones, which by the way, we can include neurotransmitters in the conversation, it is completely intertwined with these things. So for example, let's talk about neurotransmitters in the brain. You know, if I want to treat a person with anxiety and depression with a medication, I could give them sertraline, which is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It works to boost serotonin levels in the body. Guess what? 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. 90%. It's the happy hormone. It controls our mood. It controls our energy levels, our focus. And 90% of it is in the gut. Only 10% is in the brain. You can boost the precursor molecules of serotonin and it'll cross the blood brain barrier and affect your mood. When you heal the gut, you will affect your mood. There are 30 neurotransmitters produced in the gut. The gut is in constant communication with the brain. You can't separate the two. The, your brain's best friend is your gut. There is no other organ that's as strongly connected to your brain and vice versa. They are in constant talk with each other. And as for the hormones, the gut is involved in hormonal balance throughout the entire body on a number of different levels. If you take women's health issues specifically, estrogen balance is affected by the gut microbiome. There is an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase produced by our gut microbes to activate estrogen. It basically takes estrogen, which is inactivated, and it turns it back on so that it has effects in the body. So in a way, your gut controls the lever of how much estrogen you have. It could be too much. And if you get too much estrogen, that can lead to endometrial hyperplasia. It can lead to endometriosis. Or there are estrogen-associated cancers like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, which have all been, again, connected back to damage to the microbiome. And on the flip side, you can have too little estrogen and at the same time, excessive production of androgens, which are male sex hormones. By the way, there's a bacteria that does that too. It's called Clostridium syndens. Clostridium syndens produces androgens. It's found in the gut. And when you have this loss of hormonal balance with less estrogen and more androgen, that's how polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, develops. Once again, an altered gut microbiome has been associated with PCOS. You know, it's just like you go down the line and all these conditions, that's what we find. Yeah, thanks for going into more detail about that. If people are interested in hormones and, and health, I also recommend Your Body in Balance by Dr. Neil Barnard, where he actually goes into detail about each one of these and how eating a plant-based diet can really help prevent a lot of these hormonal-related diseases. Yeah, no, his book just came out very recently. And also there's a book by Dr. Angie Siddiqui. And Dr. Angie is, many of you probably know her, is a plant-based gastroenterologist like me. And she has a book called The Trifecta of Health. And it's a wonderful book. And she, she combines, you know, basically exercise, healthy diet, and hormones into a larger conversation. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. While we're on the topic of hormones and just kind of where I am in my life, yeah. I was fascinated when I was reading about beta-glucans as a type of fiber. And it's funny because... I'm very aware of like boosting milk supply. Like I have plenty of milk, but the things that you need to boost your milk supply and you just always are reading about that when it comes to, you know, postpartum health and feeding your baby. And it's funny because the things that are recommended to boost your milk supply are the foods with high content of beta-glucans like oats and barley and mushrooms. And I saw that in your book. Yeah, and beta so beta glucan is just one example of a type of fiber. You know, again, there may be millions, if not billions, of types. But yeah, you find it in oats, barley, and mushrooms, and it also affects the immune system. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. That it's just another example of how everything is linked. Like, if you want to be, you know, providing good health for your baby, it's important that you yourself have a healthy microbiome and that you're eating foods that stimulate proper hormone production as well. Yeah, that's completely true. I mean, it's it's fascinating to think about the way that also, like, given the stage that you're at right now where you're a young mom, it's fascinating to think about the way that birthing is set up to foster a healthy gut microbiome. So, you know, let me give you a quick example. Like, this is, I mean, honestly, it is almost like science fiction to me how crazy this is. So, first of all, as a mom 
goes through pregnancy and gets into the third trimester, you know, the first exposure to bacteria for the baby is passing through the birth canal. And what's fascinating is that the vagina has a microbiome of its own. It's not as complicated as the gut microbiome. It's far more simple. But what's so interesting is that way in the third trimester, like 35, 36 weeks of pregnancy, the vaginal microbiome actually starts to change and it starts to more closely resemble mom's gut microbiome, which I find to be absolutely fascinating because then the child passes through the birth canal and gets inoculated with, you know, essentially a supercharged probiotic. And that is the beginning of developing a new relationship with these microbes. That is the first time that this child will start to develop a relationship with microbes. And the microbes during early life, the first three years of life, are critically important for training the immune system. And this is why when you look at people who have had disruption of this process, normal development of the gut microbiome in children, there's an increased risk of developing allergic diseases like asthma or eczema or autoimmune diseases as well. So all of these things become more common. Now, let me say like both, I, I want to be completely transparent and say this, like that many moms get nervous when they hear this, like, oh, but my child wasn't born vaginally. My child was born by C-section. Don't worry. Your child can be completely healthy and you can't change that. And, you know, both of my children were born by C-section and my kids are completely healthy and they're doing great and they're thriving. Okay. So you control what you can control. You can't necessarily control that. My wife and I, we didn't want our children born by C-section, but that's what happened. And, you know, my kids are doing great and your kids can be doing great too when they're, if they're born that way. But then you transition into breast milk. Okay. Breast milk is absolutely fascinating to me because I think it's the perfect food. It is designed to nourish children during this period of time in their life. And it contains something called HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides. Now, what is amazing to me is that HMOs have literally zero nutritional value to the child, zero, none. And there's over 200 types. So what the heck are they doing there? The answer is that human milk oligosaccharides, HMOs, are each different unique types of fiber found in mom's breast milk designed to feed the microbiome of the newborn child. And this is why breastfeeding protects against allergic conditions like asthma, protects against eczema, autoimmune diseases like celiac or type 1 diabetes, and even protects against metabolic diseases like obesity type two diabetes. So, you know, this period of time from birth until age three is a critical period of time and we want to control what we can. And one of the ways that we control it is when possible, and again, not possible for everyone and don't put too much pressure on yourself. This is not about stressing over this, but when possible breastfeeding and ideally breastfeeding for as long as you possibly can. Like I'm very grateful for my wife who breastfed our children until age two. It was not their exclusive food. When they were six months old, they started to consume solids and they ramped up their solid food consumption. But my wife continued to provide milk to them, even if it came in a pumped bottle form up to age two. And I'm convinced that this is part of the reason why my kids are doing so well. And they've never, my kids between the two of them have nine years of life. Okay. And they have nine years of life and they have never been on antibiotics. And it's not because I've withheld the antibiotics when they needed them. It's because they've never needed them, not even once. And I'm convinced it's because my wife built a very strong, robust immune system for them by extending the breastfeeding. That's amazing. And a book that I've really been enjoying is Dr. Joel Foreman's book, Disease Proof Your Child. Yeah. And he talks a lot about yeah how to introduce solids, how to feed your child plant-based and the benefits of doing that, preventing things like having to have, you know, antibiotics for ear infections and asthma and ADHD and, and even things like autism. And it's, it's just crazy, again, how interconnected everything is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it is amazing that, you know, we evolved as humans to provide nutrition to the microbiome. Doesn't that speak to the importance of this connection? I mean, it really does. Yeah, it's like the glue that ties everything together. Right. 
So we have a little bit of time left. I want to go through your F goals because people listening are like, yeah, I'm learning all this stuff about the microbiome and I know I need to eat more fiber, but give me specifics. Like what do I need to eat? Right. So, you know, I always say, I want you to have as many friends as possible. So each plant is like a friend, but just because you have a lot of friends doesn't mean that it's wrong to have best friends. The best friends are the ones that you are most deeply invested into the relationship with them and you spend more time with them. So we want diversity of plants as much as possible, but our best friends should be the superfoods. And that's where the chapter on F goals comes in. F goals is my acronym. It's how I remember what my foundational foods are, the ones that I'm trying to get every day if I can. And so what this stands for, F, fruit and fermented, G, greens and grains, O, omega superseeds, so like flax, chia, hemp, A, aromatics, like onions, garlic, shallots, L, legumes, S, there's three actually for S, shrooms, seaweed, and then my personal favorite, sulforaphane. And what I'm referring to there is the phytochemical that you will find in cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts. They have sulforaphane, which is a cancer-fighting phytochemical. But what's amazing is that sulforaphane is found up to 100 times more in broccoli sprouts. That's where you find the highest concentrations of sulforaphane. So for me, I look to try to get broccoli sprouts into my diet on a daily basis. Yeah, and people that want to geek out, I I love pointing people to books. So (laughs) there's a lot of books I've talked about. There's a book that my friend Doug Evans just released called The Sprout Book, and it's everything that you need to know about sprouting, which I, I'm actually still learning myself. And I know it's simple. I just haven't actually done it yet. You know, it's it's amazing because it's so easy to do. I failed a couple times. And what I've discovered is you just need good seeds from a reputable brand. So, but it's actually quite easy to do. and only takes about five days to do broccoli sprouts. And it's kind of fun. Like if you have kids, your kids will enjoy doing it. Even grownups who are like kids like me. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about fermented foods because it's not really like all those other foods we talked about, except for maybe seaweed, are a pretty regular part of our culture. But fermented foods aren't. And I'm somebody that could eat more fermented foods, but I don't like kimchi. I don't like the taste of like I'll have miso soup, which is, I guess, counts as fermented. But like, what are some fermented foods that you can eat if you don't like the kimchi flavor? Well, you know, what I'll say is that number one. I am not advocating to eat like a bowl of this stuff. <laughs> All or I none personality. It, type A. Yeah. I'm eating a whole jar of it. Are you? Okay. No, no, I, not really. <laughs> you, see, I think of it as a garnish. I think of it as a garnish. So I, th- I think of it as like, this is a unique flavor. Fermented foods always have a unique flavor that you won't find in other places. And you just add a little bit to the side of your dish and that's all that you need. And so now it doesn't have to be sauerkraut. It doesn't have to be kimchi necessarily. I, I like kombucha. I love miso. I like tempeh. I like sourdough bread. All right. Those are all possibilities. And then there's a technique to creating your own fermented food that's incredibly easy to do. And once you figure out how to do it, like in the book, I tell you how to make your own home sauerkraut, but you can extend that technique to any, any plant almost that is fibrous. So like asparagus or cauliflower or peppers, like sweet peppers or hot peppers, if you want. The process of what we call doing what we call lacto-fermentation is incredibly simple because all it is, is submerging the whole plant underwater and the plant has a microbiome. The plant has a microbiome. And so when you submerge the plant, the microbiome of the plant is what you need in order to ferment the food. So like when I make sauerkraut, you don't add a starter or add something special to make the sauerkraut, you literally just take cabbage and some salt and some water and you put it underwater and you let it sit for a week and the food naturally will transform. So to me, fermentation is about transformation and it's a transformation that enhances the food. And I think it enhances the flavor in my opinion, but obviously it's, it's also an acquired taste. And you know, it's, it's interesting if you think about it, that all traditional cultures from around the world have fermented food as a part of their food tradition, all of them. And many times it's the most celebrated food. And many times to an outsider, it's the one that you're like, Ooh, what's that? Like 
you know, there's certain foods and certain cultures that you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. But obviously it's an acquired taste. And so I'm not saying to eat something you don't like. I'm just saying to feel free to experiment with ones that you do like, and you may find that you start to acquire a taste for it and you really love it. It was awesome. I got to go to Japan for a race. Uh, I can't remember the year. It was like a year or two ago. And I couldn't believe the tofu section. Like, I want to go to Japan with a Yeti cooler because it's only like an eight-hour direct flight from Vancouver. And I literally want to bring back all these different types of tofu that they have. And people might be laughing, thinking, ew, gross, tofu. But I kid you not, like, some of the tofu, you don't even do anything. You just eat it straight out of the package because it's just so good. Right. Now oh, that's with, amazing. Now, with tempeh, I guess I knew it was a fermented food. I've heard that, but I forgot, you know, in this conversation. With tempeh, can you cook a food too much to mess up the benefit you'd get from the fermentation? Or like if you have sourdough bread and you toast it, are you going to be ruining anything? You're not, you're not ruining per se. You know, the process of fermentation is more than just living microbes. There's transformation of the fiber. There's the creation of healthy acids. There's the release of vitamins that you previously didn't have access to. Like, for example, many of the B vitamins will often be created during the fermentation process. So when you ferment a food, those things are still there, whether you cook the food or not cook the food. You can potentially destroy the bacteria if you cook the food, but that's not the end of the world. And that also is not the only reason that you eat the fermented food. So that being said, for example, when I make miso soup, you know, guys, miso soup, it is so easy to do. Like... Get real miso, okay? Like miso paste. Miso paste and get warm water. And literally, that could be the end of it. But you could also add in some, some tofu and some chopped green onions or whatever flavors you like. But literally, all it is is water and miso paste and you stir it up. That's all miso soup is. Done. Like for the guy who doesn't want to cook much, that's so easy to do. And the key here is this. Miso is good for you no matter what. Okay. But if you let the water temperature cool just a little bit so that it's not scalding hot, if it gets to a temperature that you would actually drink it yourself and then add the miso, then what you're able to do is preserve the healthy microbes that exist as part of the miso. Oh, cool. And is the reason that, you know, eating fermented foods good is because does that produce more short chain fatty acids? Because those come from food fermenting in the gut, right? So fermentation is conceptually like thinking about what is actually happening inside your gut, except it's happening in a mason jar. Basically, it's the same process. You are transforming the food. You are unlocking the, the food potential, including potentially the short chain fatty acids, including new types of fiber, including vitamins. But you're making it easy on your gut so that your gut doesn't have to do the heavy lifting. You have allowed these processes to already take place outside the body. And then you go and you ingest it and it's like prepackaged, ready to go, super easy, simple on the gut. And the fiber, which is the key part, fiber produces short chain fatty acids. Every type of fiber is unique. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Every type of fiber supports different types of microbes. When you ferment your food, you transform the fiber. You get these new types of fiber that are called exopolysaccharides. So if you eat cabbage, you get one type of fiber. And if you ferment that cabbage into kimchi, you get a different type of fiber. That, to me, is really kind of cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Man, so everyone listening, I challenge you to just pick one of these F goals. Just pick one. But for me, I'm going to pick the fermentation side. And I'm going to start adding in more of those into my diet and even fermenting myself. My last question is, in your research, I know there's over 600, is it over 600 or 600 references in your book? And I'm sure you've read even more than 600 references. Those are just the ones included in the book. Did you come across anything about gut health for athletic performance specifically? Yeah, there is. You know, it's fascinating. So the a couple things. The first thing that I would say is that the research on athletic performance and gut health confirms to me that the currency of a healthy gut are short-chain fatty acids. When you do something that makes your gut stronger, your body rewards you with more short-chain fatty acids. So in studies, they did one study where they looked at a rugby team, and what they found is that because they were exercising more as part of their sport, they 
had a gut more capable of producing short-chain fatty acids. Another thing, kind of cool, different sports will produce different changes in your gut. And so in endurance sports, such as cycling, you need the ability to hold up for a longer period of time in anaerobic oxygen, right? In like an anaerobic state. And what's produced is lactic acid. And lactic acid is what ultimately will cramp you up or give you muscle fatigue. And when they studied marathon runners, they discovered that marathon runners had a unique type of microbe that was more prominent. And they looked into this microbe more closely. And they found that this microbe, this bacteria, was associated with the breakdown of lactic acid. And when it broke down the lactic acid, it actually transformed it into short-chain fatty acids. Once again, short-chain fatty acids are the currency of gut health. And just to prove the point that this was real and not just association, not just, hey, oh, here's this cool bacteria that breaks down lactic acid, but like, is it just, is it, is it really doing anything? They took this bacteria and they transferred it into mice. And then they tested the mice with effectively, you know, exercise event. And they found that the mice that received this type of bacteria performed 13% better than the mice that did not. Now, in your world, the competitive world of cycling, 13% difference would be ridiculous. And I'm not saying that you would get that from this one microbe, like taking a probiotic. What I am saying is that when you heal your gut, what if it gave you a 1% or a 2% difference? That might be the difference between winning and losing the race. Absolutely. That, you know what I mean? And that, that to me is why this is so powerful and so critically important is that because it affects health throughout the entire body, including exercise performance, why would you leave that stone unturned? Why would you, you know, take the supplements and do the workouts and do all the other stuff, but not take advantage of something that could really transform your performance? Yeah, I'm really excited to learn about that because a lot of people have asked me, does eating a plant-based diet enhance athletic performance? And I haven't actually tackled it from the gut health angle. And I haven't looked into that research. It's all been about blood flow and like recovering faster, you know, on, on a, a really high level, just talking about, you know, less inflammation in your body. So learning specifics about this is something I'm pretty excited about. And yeah, thanks for pointing those things out. Yeah. Cool. Well, there's hours and hours we could talk about. <laughs> but where can people buy your book? Because that's going to be the best possible way for people to get all this information and a plan that they can follow that's easy and delicious. Okay. You can get my book through all of the classic avenues. So, you know, Amazon, whether you're in the US or in Canada, you can use it. If you live overseas, if you're not in the US or Canada, and you live in Europe or in Australia, New Zealand, and you want to get my book, you have to use Book Depository. That's the way that you can get it right now until they start publishing my book in your country. And I don't know when that is going to be. I don't have any, I, I personally am not involved in those decisions at all. So I'm just told when it's going to happen and I haven't heard anything yet. If you live in the United States or Canada though, let me just say, we are living in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. There are small businesses within your community that are hurting right now. And when we have the opportunity to put our dollar towards those small businesses, given the choice, we should give our dollar to them and not to Amazon. Nothing against Amazon, but Amazon is richer than ever right now. And meanwhile, those small businesses are on the brink of going out of business. So I would really encourage you guys to use this as motivation to make the phone call to your local bookstore and say to them, hey, can you get me this book, Fiberfield? I want a copy of that. And they'll take care of you. And you'll be doing the right thing in terms of helping your community. Great. And people should follow you on Instagram. Your Instagram is awesome. What is the best or what's your Instagram handle? I'm on Instagram as the Gut Health MD. I'm also on Facebook as the Gut Health MD. And you can come to my website, theplantfedgut.com. By the way, I will give you, whether you buy my book or not, I will give you all 600 references and a research guide to help you. Like I, I feel for people who are frustrated because they, they're like, look, you know, you're saying this, but then there's someone who says the complete opposite. How am I supposed to know? Well, let me show you some of the techniques. Let me teach you the basics of clinical research so that you can be an informed consumer and really smart at finding the truth among all the noise. 
So that's completely free on my website. I have a COVID-19 guide. I have an email list that's been a lot of fun and people have been digging it. And then this summer, I'm planning to launch an online course and I've beta tested it twice and had amazing results, amazing results, like great feedback, great outcomes for many of the people who have done it. And so I'm really excited about bringing that up too. Awesome. I'm super excited for you. And it's been so awesome getting to know you over, I guess it's been over a year now. And I just really appreciate everything that you're doing and the amount of time and energy that you're spending to really change the world. So congratulations and thank you so much. I appreciate it, Sonia. Thank you for having me on. And, um, you know, what can I say? Like it's, it's easy to do things and invest that time when you really truly believe in what you're doing. And you have that motivation, that extra level of motivation where it's like, look, I can help people. And that to me is really powerful. So I'm excited and I hope people enjoy the book. And, you know, honestly, if you read the book, reach out to me online, let me know, share a story about it, tag me. And, um, you know, I I really truly believe that this book is going to help people. So I'm excited. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a review and share the show with your friends if you enjoyed this episode. This stuff is really powerful. Whether we're talking about mindset, whether we're talking about nutrition, whether we're just listening to other people's stories of hard work and success and attitude, it all makes a big difference. So thank you so much for being a part of my community. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you right back here next week.